Greetings, friends. Quinred Mountain here, and thank you for finding and listening to Web of Life Animus Network. These are troubled times, and those of us who are sensitive and empaths have to do quite a bit of self-care to just get along in this world every day. All of us are in relationships, and being in relationship while being an empath is not easy. So Elizabeth Black is here to share some insights that she has gleaned from her own experience, the group's experience as well, as info that she has found to be helpful for empathic relationships. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone. Tonight we're touching in about um, empath relationship skills and this is being recorded. Um, I also have a Facebook empath group so we like to pass that on to them because um, most of them don't live here and also putting it on the website for those that couldn't make it tonight. Um, so what I thought uh, the format for tonight would be is there are mm, some like specifics that I will mention and then as I mention each specific if you want to contribute um, either a question or go deeper with it uh, sharing what has happened for you you are welcome to do that um, but we're setting the intention that we're not going into um, stories of like trauma that have happened for for us through relationship. Um, recognizing that there will be empaths listening to this and we don't want to traumatize them as they pick up what we've gone through. Uh, having said that, like at a later time, like if you want to write to me or, or ask any questions about something, then you're welcome to do that as well. So I, I found something that I wrote, and it was probably like 10 years ago now, and I want to read some of it. Some of it's not relevant to tonight, but it adds to the story. Um, one of the big things about being an empath is the ability to merge with others' um, energy. And so a lot of times people are like, well, what does that merge mean? And I think that what I wrote kind of gives some more clarity to it. So this is called Touching In on My Empath World. When I write the words touching in, I think of a bird soaring. A lot of times that is what being an empath feels like. There is a melding of energies that bends, twists, and turns. This is all second nature or even just first nature. So generally, I don't think about it in an analytical fashion. I don't think about it until there is a crash and burn. Thankfully, those don't happen too often anymore, but there have been so many outside forces going on in the world, astrological, ecological, shifts, aliens, etc., that the world of empath does get turned topsy-turvy. To me, this is like walking on a constantly moving plane. 
It makes me feel car sick, air sick, boat sick. You get the idea. Add to this, I lost 50 pounds this year. Weight is grounding. It is protecting and shielding. In many ways, I am mourning the loss of it, but for my physical health, it is necessary to keep it off. This said, I have opened myself up to a whole lot more of energy pouring into me. I don't know... I don't know this energy. I don't know my body. There are bones sticking out where there weren't before. I move differently. Physically, I respond as a whole new empathic me. It's very confusing and it also takes time to adjust. I think as an empath, it is very important to know oneself. It's okay to admit when you've had enough. I also think it is vital to have people around that are both empaths and are not. Other empaths are understanding. They can relate and say things like, did you feel that? I feel that too. Then you have a great reminder that no, you aren't crazy. People that aren't empaths have other incredible gifts. One that I find helpful is to be around people that are very grounded. They are like rocks. Energy doesn't stick on them. I find such people to be protective. Some of them get me, some of them don't. That's okay because I don't always get them either. We live in different worlds, and, I, and living in different worlds is fine because I feel that I am here to share my gifts and help others. I hope that the people I interact with are doing that too. So a lot of what I put in there um, sums up like being an empath and some of the difficulties that are encountered with relationships. So I wanted to tell you that tonight um, I did have some sources that have a lot of good information if you want to go back and look at them. And so one well-known person um, that is a writer about empaths is Judith Orloff, Orloff and she is a doctor. Um, I also have, through the years, read um, Elizabeth Y. Fitzhugh. And another great source is Gary R. Lay, Lee or Lay, not sure how to um, say it. I shared about merging and I thought that was really important because with merging, um, it can be one of the fears that empaths hold for having relationships, um, that they are going to completely merge with another person, lose their identity, or um, be feeling the other person all the time and wanting to take care of the person um, or heal the person. So merging is a big deal for empaths. That's mainly what we do. Um, and so then with the merging comes all kinds of other difficulties. And so I'm going to start touching in on those. And then if anyone wants to add in like, oh, that's happened to me or whatever your experience is. Um, so the first one that empaths struggle with is people pleasing. And so in a relationship that can be challenging, um, they will tend to the needs of others before themselves. Uh, so dis discounting their own needs and neglecting their own self-care. Um, and then they won't feel happy as an empath 
until the people around them are happy themselves. Um, so if someone you're in relationship is feeling sad or angry, then a lot of times empaths will you know, take a lot of energy to try to change that because you want them to be happy. And um, in a relationship, if, it, if you are with someone who's not an empath, they might not necessarily understand that you're ex you're not happy when they're not happy because one reason is you can feel their unhappiness and even if they're telling you like no everything's fine or you can go deeper than what they're saying the surface and you you know everything's not fine would anyone like to comment on that jacob uh, just, I want to say, uh, amen. That's all I had. That's all true for me. Okay, another aspect is poor boundaries. For us, boundaries look different, um, and because we're so used to that merging and feeling, moving in and out of energy, what might be no um, or yes in, a, in a, a different kind of relationship is, is often mutated for us. <laughs> um, and it depends on how, what you can tolerate as an empath. Uh, some empaths can tolerate um, different kinds of energies than others. Um, boundaries depend on your ability to know what your needs are and what your wants are. But coming into that as an empath, you're not always sure what your needs and wants are because your needs and wants are often mixed in with what's going on around you. And so, as I read earlier, knowing yourself is extremely important as an empath and, and learning yourself and being open to the fact that yourself is always changing and giving yourself permission to go with that change. Flow is a really important word for empaths. Mm. But then once you figure out um, what your boundaries are, being able to communicate them is another big challenge for empaths that takes work. Um, and because a lot of times as empaths, you might have the skill to read other people's minds <laughs> and know what they're thinking, or if they're saying one thing, you can go deeper in, into what's behind that and know that that's not what they really mean. We might expect other people to do that as well, to read our minds, to know it, what we're feeling, because we know what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can get really challenging in a relationship. And it also can be really like um, awkward <laughs> if someone is telling you one thing and you know, like, no, that isn't what is really going on here. And that can create... Um, strife in a relationship. Would anyone like to comment on that? Yeah, I would. Um, okay. The older I've gotten, the better I've gotten with not people pleasing and setting boundaries for myself. But I still find that people are attracted to me who cannot be 
attention to the boundaries or, Mm -hmm. you know, when I don't do exactly what they want me to do, it's like, that's it. You know, like what (laughs) is everybody? Am I just going to continually attract that kind of person? You know, um, I just recently had somebody stay with me for a week and he did not know when to stop talking. And I actually told him, I said, look, I have a boundary. You just can't talk all the time. You know, (laughs) I was a little more explicit with him than that. And he didn't pay any attention to it. None whatsoever. I was just like, oh, you've got to go. So it wasn't like I was picking up on his feelings, but it felt like an Mm -hmm. invasion of my headspace. Right. A little bit different. Yeah. So for me, the people-pleasing has gone hand-in-hand with the boundaries because I feel like to set up boundaries, sometimes that, to me, is a portrayal of pain that somebody's going to feel. Because when you put up boundaries, um, sometimes that can be a slap to someone's face of you example for itself you want to talk all the time but I can't have your energy constantly in my space I need to have some of my quiet time Mm -hmm. so those for me have gone hand in hand on trying to learn what are the boundaries and I am selfish and don't want to feel that pain so it's almost like being a people pleaser to avoid having to set those boundaries does that make sense yeah yeah so that's been mine I have a question. So I'm wondering, um, you know, as as children, when we pick up the energy of our parents or our significant, uh, you know, authority figures in our lives, what happens to that? You know, um, I grew up in Maryland at a time when um, it was the 70s, and there was a lot of, um, in the school I went to, just a lot of racial um, well, racial tension. And I was scared to death all the time. And I remember, what I remember most is fear, 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 a lot of fear. And a lot, and I was absorbing that, a lot of anger, a lot of fear among the kids, a lot of fights. I was always scared. And as I got older and um, what, I mean, what, I moved, you know, to a different, California, different you know, demographic and what happens to that energy though? So here it's all in this child and not knowing, you know, what's going on and what to do with it. And I'm just curious what happens to that. Quinn, could you address that? Because that has to do with trauma <laughs> and the body. Well, and I, I know you said we weren't going into our trauma, but that's just kind of a general question. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody came to me and told that story, then my answer would be that that kid inside is not dead and gone. They are still operating inside of us if it's not been specifically tended that that trauma, the reasons to cause all those emotions. So in our cells, in our DNA, in our emotional body, that those feelings, that seven-year-old or 10-year-old or whatever, you know, and for some kids it's like the entire childhood, but um, to work with that 
child self consciously, like soothing them, um, telling them that they're okay, like treating them as if we are their guardian now. And how would we talk to them and what would we do for them knowing that they were petrified or worried or horrified and they were, and it's confusing because as a kid, we don't, we can't tease it all apart. So all we know is we feel it. We don't know if it's us or not. So um, there is a lot of work that can be done specifically around that because that kid is not gone. They are still reacting to that, you know, the world is scary. There's, you know, the world is dangerous. We have to be careful. All of those things are still pretty strong until or and as we figure out ways to soothe them, to have them realize that that was then, you know, and it and, and we, yeah, all kinds of things. But, but that's a good question because I see with a lot of adult sensitive people that there's still a lot of childhood trauma untended, undealt, not consciously dealt with. And we think, well, the past is the past. It's over. It's done. It's get over it, you know, but that's not the way it works. We're still playing it out day to day because that's what our kid self believes about the world. And so then we see it and experience it again and again until we as the adult and with help, you know, a therapist, a counselor, a journeys, so, you know, something like that to be able to connect with that kid and bring them under our wings, so to speak, you know, like, hey, it's you and me, kid, we're going to be, we're okay now, or that kind of thing. Thank you. And as was mentioned, empaths don't like conflict. They don't like to have to speak out to someone and um, because we can feel all that emotion coming up. And the emotion, the energy doesn't just go away. It, it's there. It's palatable to us. And so as empaths, um, there's self-care. There's um, finding ways to release that energy for ourselves which brings us to if we are unaware and unknowing of our needs then and that is one of our needs being able to do that then um, we're not going to be able to express that to a partner so knowing yourself is really important um also kind of mentioned, um, like if somebody is, is talking a lot, that can be an um, energetic boundary to us as well. Loud noises, um, commotion, um, lots of people all around can be draining over a time for an empath. And so there is generally a need for empaths to have alone time and to be able to decompress from all the energies that they are picking up on. And sometimes uh, others, like in a relationship, don't always have those same ne needs and may not understand that. Um Empaths can be sensitive to light and crowds and sound, um, certain kinds of 
textures, uh, food. There's uh, so many things that can affect an empath. And we might be in a place where we beat ourselves up inside, like, oh, I got to just try to fit in. And it's very important for empaths to come to the realization, like I also said in this my story at the beginning, that it's almost as if we are from a different world or in a different world. Um, one example that was given in the books that I read was that it's like you are you have traveled to another country and you're trying to fit in with that culture or or find your way through that culture and that's what it's like for an empath and when i say that i just don't mean that it's not like that for other people but we're speaking about empaths tonight would anyone like to respond or add to that no? okay um Empaths are vulnerable to health issues. And because of that energy that we talked about, if we don't find ways to release or work with the energy, the merging, the feeling others' feelings, um, it can collect in your body and show up in different kinds of health issues. So that could be some of the ones that were listed are chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, headaches, anxiety, depression, digestive issues, hormone imbalance. Um, and so like the people pleasing and not taking care of yourself, your self care can lead to these um, health issues. And so it's really important for us to um, get to know ourselves, decide what kind of boundaries work for us and be able to communicate those boundaries and relationships. With that in mind, another thing that is important for empaths to start realizing is that our relationship doesn't have to look like everyone else's relationship or what the societal norm has said, that this is what a relationship must be. Empaths don't always want to sleep in the same bedroom or the same bed because you are absorbing energy. And so uh, allowing yourself to have the freedom to say in your relationship, you know, I need to have my own room and or I don't always want to sleep in the same bed. And some empaths want to be able to travel on their own and they they like to do that and feel like they absorb more of the adventure or experience on their own so that might be something that plays into your relationship mm. some empaths um, can only deal with like a distance relationship you know a long distance relationship uh, some are looking for a relationship where the significant other travels a lot because then they get alone time. And so if any of those or other things appeal to you as an empath, move away from the feeling like, oh no, there's something like really weird or about me um, that I want that. And that that's not the same as every like the traditional like get married, live in a house and have the two cars and it's what works for you and your needs 
and being able to save yourself time um, and pain by being able to tell others that this is what I need in my relationship. Also, not people pleasing so that as empaths, narcissists, and a lot of times sociopaths and others that crave uh, that type of care, basically, um, are attracted to empaths. So if you can move away from the people-pleasing and, and just, like, watching out for those types of people and, and paying attention to your red flags, that's really important. I have something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've had to come to terms with for myself that has seemed a bit counterintuitive or um, hmm. like I've had to get used to the idea of this, which is, so I have, I have, I guess that's an ability, probably most of us do, but I can really tell when someone is not happy with me you know, even if they're not in the same room, like I just start thinking about them. Like I can, and I get a feeling in my stomach and, uh Oh, like, what'd I do kind of thing? Like, uh Oh, um, are they unhappy with me? And I can tell when people are unhappy with me, I, I get it clearly. And, but in a relationship, um, I've had to dance around with this feeling of being plugged in, to their emotional state, as you mentioned, Elizabeth. Oh, they're not happy. Oh, boy. So then I start. I have started, don't do this so much anymore, seeking, like, okay, what, what is it? What was it? Could I change it? Could I fix it? Does it have to do with me? And it's kind of a worry. It's like an anxiety, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh, someone's unhappy. And so what I've come to, and it's been a whole process, which is the feeling of unplugging from that, but the... But the downside that I've had to adapt to is then it feels like I don't care. It feels like I'm either plugged in or I don't care, which feels like, well, how can you be in a relationship if you don't care? And so I've really had to work with that of not caring. I mean, there is a care, of course, but... But I've been trained in a way, culturally, that in order to be fully in a relationship, I must care to this level, right? Where then it creates a lot of shit for me (laughs) that's not pleasant at all. When really it's like, okay, well, if there's something I need to deal with, if it's about me, be clear that it's about me. Otherwise, I don't care. It ain't my business. So I've had to really get used to that. Of, and it feels literally like being of unplugging from it. Not my issue. I can still care and it ain't my business. If I may, um, another thing you were referencing made me think about a uh, past relationship I had where um, for, for years I'd always thought of myself as someone who doesn't like travel because there's, there's just too much involved in, in travel. I, I can't handle it. Then I met up with someone who was pro-travel. She, she loved to travel around the world. 
and she would suggest things to me about let's take a trip coming up next year or whatever to this or that place and I think to myself that sounds really great but uh, I just I can't travel so we finally kind of worked through the situation and it turned out that uh, in our discussions I said if you were willing to take on all the arrangements, all the details, all that minutiae and everything else that goes along with it so that I didn't have to deal with it. I mean, I said right out so that I don't have to deal with that. I would love to travel. And we tried it a few times and it worked. I mean, there were some little rough spots there, but, uh, and that was something I discovered about myself that I can, I can say this. You know, for a long time I thought, well, I'd be selfish if I told someone, no, you got to take care of it. I just can't deal with it. But when I met someone who was perfectly willing to do that and was excited to do that, it worked. And I thought, hmm, it can work sometimes. You know, I like what you, when we're talking about relationships, it's not just romantic relationships, right? All relationships. So I'm feeling at work, where I'm working now at this school, that there is so much non-communication that I am totally picking up on and I don't know what to do with it. So mm. I'm being treated not unfairly, not unkindly, but there are underlying things that are wanting to be said. I'm not quite sure what, but I can feel it. And for whatever reason, they're tiptoeing around me, um, trying to, they are very, they are very accommodating. I need I want this, I need this, and they will do it for me. But there's some underlying, uh, underlying stuff that I don't know exactly what it is, but I can feel it. And when you said, you know, to remove yourself, like I care, I, I care, but I don't care enough where I'm gonna continue to stress about it. I'm trying to get to that point. So the way you said it, you know, is, is almost like, giving me permission it's okay it's okay i can step outside of it look in this weird stuff's going on but i don't really have to worry about it you know mm -hmm. and that's that's different for me mm -hmm. so yeah that, thank you for that and yeah. i also wanted to say that um i can totally relate what you were talking about about un having to unplug from the person um, but it happened for me when my daughter, my younger daughter, was on heroin, mm -hmm. and um, I just felt like it was going to kill me, you know, being so involved with her, so attached to her, and having that happen. And I got to a place where I totally detached from her. I mean, I won't say totally. I, of course, my love didn't go away from her, but... Um, when she decided to go to rehab, they called me a week into it, and I thought, why are you guys calling me? And I thought, later on, I realized what I had done. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that to them, but I, I was just like, she's off the street. I think she has a chance of survival now, so I don't need to hear anything more. I thought, what kind of mother am I? Mm -hmm. You know, it just made me feel like, oh my God, I just, I detached to her to save my own life, basically. 
Well, there's times when that's necessary, and then there's times when we're still in relationship, and yet we detach from a part, a part of something that isn't helpful, but staying attached, like staying connected, but detaching a part of it to make it easier. So there's this whole grayscale of it. That's a really big topic that's brought up in the empath writings in that especially in relationship because we can feel what they're not saying a lot of times um and we always want people to be feel happy and be happy that we might think it's our responsibility to get them to the place of happiness and uh, what suggested is to remind ourselves that it's each person has their own path in this life and the things that they go through might be just what is needed on their path and if we're trying to fix all the time then and that's not going to help with their spiritual growth or development and when presented with pain and or um, troubles which is inedible in relationship that we take the stance of um, I support you and I believe in you and you can do this and so it's as if you are you know um, holding space for them to move through their development and process rather than like going in and trying to fix it for them and making everything better or even taking it on yourself which is another thing that empaths do is try to take away the pain from others or and feed them happiness feed them your energy and it, that just does not work it, it makes you sick over the long run in judith orloff's book she lists um things to think about for your relationships um she calls it the 12 secrets for the empath in love some we've already d discussed and so she suggests uh, regular alone time to decompress or meditate discuss how much time you want to spend socializing because that can differ for empaths negotiate and make adjustments in physical space consider separate beds or bedrooms focus on a single emotional emotional issue and don't keep repeating yourself and i thought that one was interesting i hadn't really thought about that but that can happen with empaths don't take things personally even when they are personal <clears throat> so that means like don't be reactive to comments um so that you're not triggered <laughs> observe the no yelling rule and um, she said that empaths are overwhelmed a lot of times by yelling and loud voices. Uh, so if that is something that you is a boundary for you to let your partner know. Don't be a people pleaser or try to fix your partner. Modulate the sounds around you because uh, empaths are usually quiet people. Negotiate your bath time. I thought that one was interesting. Uh, empaths love being in water. So um, 
We tend to take long baths and shower. In truth, she said she can soak for a long time, but that's not always the case with the partner. Mm. And then the last one she says is play. Empaths tend to be serious, but we do love to play. So be playful with your partner. And in looking for a partner, empaths need to take into consideration that play aspect. A lot of times we we want someone that will make us laugh because we are we touch in onto so many things that are serious and deep and and to be able to like lift ourselves out of that with um friends or co- coworkers or family or um partners is really important to us. Does anyone have anything they want to say about any of those? Okay, so in her book, she lists some questions that are very um, insightful to think about in and ask ourselves in relationship. So this could be if you're going to start looking for a relationship. Um, it can be in friend with friendships, um, you know, family, and. If you're already with friends or family, it still fits. They all fit. Number one, what do I need in a relationship that I've been afraid to ask for? And I thought sometimes that word afraid can be kind of strong. So I put reluctant, hesitant, you know, and so that could even be something else. What's holding you back from asking that? Number two, which of my sensitivities would I most like a partner to support? Number three, what would make me feel most comfortable with someone? Um, So because we're recording this, I'd like us to um, go through each one and... um, if there's something like you want to add that's empath related to it, you're welcome to do that. So number one was what do I need in a relationship? Um, and so if there's anything that like jumps out for you that you think like, yes, you really need that in a relationship. Like I know that um, I look for people that are going to help me feel like I'm grounded like I'm here I'm present in the world I'm seen and I'm not invisible that's really important to me um and since I'm I spend a lot of time like in my energies of feeling people and and in hearing their thoughts or what's going on for them then it helps me to be brought back to like, oh, physical reality, here we are. So that's really important to me. Would anyone else like to add something that's important to them? One of the things that I would say is probably non-negotiable for me is um, I cannot have anyone in my life close to me who is a gossip, who doesn't know what confidentiality means. Who just tells everybody, everybody else's business without their permission. Um, because that's who my mom is. My mom is a gossip. She doesn't know a boundary that can't be snapped her. Um, my sister 
had some severe trauma uh, when she was a teenager, and she doesn't know that I know about it because my mom told me, and my mom told me as casually as if she was talking about a grocery list. And I, I brought up, I said, Mom, do you think that my sister would be okay with you telling me that? Do you think that she'd be okay with me knowing that? Yeah, why? I'm sure she wouldn't mind. So that kind of just lack of awareness about how much shame my sister probably has around that. And I'm the last person that she would ever want to know about that. And my mom having no clue that she wouldn't want that to be spread around. I, I, I'm just turned off by that. I'm disgusted by it. And I cannot date or even have someone close to me in any capacity who would have that kind of back of boundaries and that ignorance about what constitutes confidential information. I guess for me, I, I feel like what I'd like to find is somebody that has um, strength to be able to look past um, me trying to, because I've been having to do so much on my own for so long. So it's, it's challenging to um, let go of that control, if you want to label it that, but having somebody that can have the strength to kind of come in and be more perceptive to seeing past to seeing past kind of what's there and what's under the surface and being more like, hey, like, I know you got this, but maybe, like, let's talk about this. Or if you're really upset, like, don't just get all stuck on how upset I am, but maybe, like, dive down with me and start, like, talking with me and let's get, like, to the root of this. But it's it's being supportive to getting to the point where you feel like you can lean on them and they can start taking care of you, you know, vice versa. But kind of earning that. One thing that I remember very clearly when I first um, met the person I'm with for 20 years is that he was able to be quiet in my presence. And there were a number of times at the very beginning where we would be together, but we were quiet, kind of in our own world. And my, and I remember saying to him, and I'd never experienced this before with anyone else, I said, hey, I think I can be how I am by myself I think you are like that too by yourself and I think we can be like that together. And that and I, and I didn't even know that I found that, that that appealing, but uh but I did and and that is to me a a good thing. So that seems like it kind of fits in with sensitivities most like a partner to support. Mm. I know for empaths, others may mm, not understand like why we're feeling something so strongly, and for a relationship to have those feelings discounted is very 
non-validating and painful. And so I think it's really important to have you know, a sensitivity towards our sensitivities. Um, and so in the book, The Empath Survival's Guide, she does say um, she has a little self-assessment, and it's determine your partner's sensitivity IQ. Do they treat you lovingly and respectfully? Do they care about other people and have close friends? Do they treat the parking lot attendant or food server well? Are love and friendship a priority in their life? Do they respond well when you set limits and boundaries? Are they kind to children and animals? Do they appreciate nature? Do they honor the earth and actively try to preserve it? Are they giving and unselfish most of the time? And most importantly, are they capable of love? And then it's seven to ten yeses indicate your potential mate has a high sensitivity IQ, which is good. Three to six yeses indicate a moderately high sensitivity. Anything less than three indicates a low sensitivity IQ. This person's ability to be a sensitive partner is questionable unless they get coaching or therapy to grow. Zero yeses are a sign for you to run in the opposite direction and find a more emotionally aware partner. I would say five out of ten. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to spend your time trying to, like, mother them or father them. <laughs> like, make them into what you think. Because that's another thing empaths do. Like, oh, we give the benefit of the doubt too much and think like oh there there's good inside of them they just we just have to bring it out and that is With a big my mistake love it will change them <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's a good way to fall into the narcissist trap <laughs> so um anyone have anything else they want to say okay so I think that I have covered everything that I had. Um, any, if there's nothing else that anyone wants to share. Elizabeth, will you be passing those questions out? Yes, I'll pass those around now. And for those of you uh, listening, um, I will post them on our Facebook Empath group. Or you can also purchase Judith Orloff's book, which they are in. Okay, so to end in her book is an empath affirmation. In a quiet state of self-acceptance, tell yourself, I deserve to be in a loving relationship where I feel comfortable. I deserve to express my true needs. I deserve to have my sensitivities respected. I deserve to be heard. Thank you, everyone, for being here, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank Thank you so much for joining me for this 
Voice in Your Head podcast brought to you by Web of Life Animus Network. We have many resources for your enjoyment and learning, both in Tucson, Arizona, and online at our website, webofLifeanimus.com. Please take care of yourself. You are important to us. Bye-bye.